couple stragglers. At least it's not me, I don't care. All right, it's 9.30, everybody. Good morning. It has been a crazy morning already, I, I hear. People are sick. People are on the road because people are sick. No one knows what's going on, so you can tell that I am doing Sunday school. So, well, it's good to see you all here this morning anyway. Anyway, today we're going to talk a little bit about the enemy. The enemy's plan. There's there's different aspects to the enemy's plan. Uh, there's a thousand different ways I wanted to go with this, a billion different ways we could have went with it. But uh, I I picked out one aspect, and um, you'll find out what that is. Um, if you guys could turn to the first noted bad thing in the Bible, the first noted bad thing in the Bible. Let me know when you all get there. It's in Genesis chapter 2. And yes, you're going to see me going like this because this thing is right there where I can't quite. Yeah, this is going to be good. Anywho, Genesis chapter 2, let's start in verse 17. This is the Lord speaking to Adam and Eve. It says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. Here uh, the Lord's talking about uh, man. He's, he, he's uh, just got done telling Adam what he can and can't do. He didn't tell him why. Um, usually, we don't get why. It's do as they say, right? That type of deal. And then he says in verse 18, he says, it's not good for him to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Was it good enough for Adam just to be with God? Right. Absolutely. But it wasn't God's plan. It was a plan for man to have relationship with man along with God. We'll have a quick word of prayer and we'll get into this thing. Lord Father, we do thank you for this beautiful, sunshiny day. We thank you for a merciful day that none of us deserve, Lord, and we thank you for giving it to us anyway. We thank you for each other. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the family you've given to us, Lord. We thank you that you're the head of all things and you're all-powerful and in control. Help us to remember that as the days grow darker. Father, just keep our eyes set on you as we walk in the light. We praise you in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Now, the first, bad, the first noted bad thing in the Bible, I, I say that because I would say the first bad thing would have been Lucifer's sin, right? That would have been the first thing. First noted bad thing in the Bible here was man being alone. Now, in Genesis, uh, if you go to look over in uh, chapter 3, verse 7, it says, and the eyes of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves ap aprons. Now, it's after they ate and got the knowledge of good and evil, they looked at each other and they knew they were naked. Now, I thought for, you know, for the longest time that that nakedness was 
really what they were, uh, what they thought was bad. But then after a while, I got to thinking they're married and no one else is around. What's the difference, right? So what, what, what was so wrong with that? And Pastor talked about it before, about us at that time having a glorified body. And then I don't know, and this is a theory of mine, I don't know if they could see flesh at the time. I think when the nakedness came, the glory was gone, and they saw carnal flesh. That's just that's what I'm getting out of this. Now, back in uh, Genesis chapter 2, 24, we know they're married because he says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So we knew they were married. So it had to been the sin and losing that glorified body, seeing that carnal flesh that separated them. Now, how do we know that it separated them from God? Well, if you look over again in chapter 3, verse 24, it says, So he drove out man, and he placed in the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every which way to keep them away from the tree of life. So the sin separated them from God. What was the enemy? Enemy, uh, the serpent got them. Okay, they got, they got them to question God's word. They got them to lie. They got them to betray one another. Well, how did he do it? When they were isolated from each other. They were separated. And that's the enemy's plan today. The enemy's plan today is to separate us. It's to isolate us. That's his number one plan today. It says, and then uh, if you look in verse 5 of chapter 3, the serpent was right about one thing, and that was us being gods. That's a little g. Today there's about 6 to 7 billion little gods in our own minds, all separated into worshiping our, ourselves. And we want this utopia on this planet of joy and peace and puppy dogs and rainbows. Well, well, whose joy and peace do we get to have? I've gotten in trouble many times just asking that simple question because it can't be answered outside of having one standard, and that's God's standard. Where is man most alone? Man is most alone in, in, your, in their minds in their thoughts. No one can get in there but God. That is where you're most alone. It's where you're thinking all the time. All the day long. You're thinking. And, uh, and, and when loneliness sets in, when man thinks they're alone in any circumstance, it's usually a circumstance that arises. Um, with what happens is it, it'll lead to depression and the depression is felt by emotions. And then your emotions start to change. One leading cause, uh, one leading way you can figure out if someone's depressed is a change in their emotions and in their actions. And then it affects the soul and affects the spirit. They'll let different spirits in and they'll start acting differently. That's why the Bible puts so, so much emphasis on guarding your mind. 
And then uh, where is my notes? Romans 8, 6 says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You, you want that life that God wanted for you? You want that peace that passes understanding? It's spiritually minded, grounded in Christ. Now, ways that we're divided, um, the way the enemy does it today, back then, obviously, it was different throughout different times and dispensations. Today, it's a lot easier because of electronics and uh, the airwaves. Everyone has a TV, everyone has a phone, everyone has a tablet. Everyone's getting information constantly, all day long, 24-7. Information, information, information overload. Today, we're divided by social status, social media, politically, financially. They're the top three today. Making things socially acceptable in terms of those who get to be in power. So those who are in power get to set the terms of what's socially acceptable today. I don't know if any of you guys have heard the term ESG that's, that's coming to the financial system, you, your credit score will now be based on how socially acceptable you are to the narrative they're pushing today. That's, that's where we're going with this. You'll hear on TV, I've heard it already, Christianity is white nationalism. They're pushing that now. That's how they're gonna divide. You make things socially acceptable, you're in. You don't, you're out. You're either in or you're out. You either have or you don't have. Those are the two. Uh, those are the two classes that they want. Now, abuse is a prime example. Abuse is the prime example that creates isolation. It's getting to one to believe, getting one to believe that they're less worthy of being abused. They get to the point where they believe they deserve People that are abused over a long period of time are groomed to think that they're not worthy of anything else but the abuse. And there's a reason for it, because they're less adequate to be treated the way they should be. And over a period of time, they actually start to believe it. That isolates them. COVID was a great example of isolation. The masks, the quarantines, the shutdowns. It, it created a global spike in domestic abuse, lack of money, and losing material things were major factors in the spike of violence. Drinking, drug abuse exploded, addiction skyrocketed, further dividing families. Even on, uh, if you look on the BLM website, their mission statement is to destroy the nuclear family. If you look at uh, the poverty and the crime in the inner cities, it's all because of broken families. It's the number one cause. Rejection, abandonment, neglect, feeling of not being wanted. Those are major contributors today. You're in or you're out. I think of, uh, I think of uh, Hagar, who was rejected by Sarah, then eventually Abraham. What did she do? She got sent away. She isolated herself. And then she was so depressed that she was going to allow her and her son to die. And before she allowed her and her son to die, she abandoned her son so she wouldn't see him die. 
all because of rejection and abandonment. We have that teen suicide is at an all-time high. And if you look, some of it is over addiction and drug use, but 80% of it is rejection and abandonment. And a lot of that is just the broken family. Either the father not being there, the mother not being there, or neither. Rejection, abandonment, neglect, feeling of not being wanted. When we were down in uh, Oklahoma, well, today on the radio, on the TV, you see ads for divorce lawyers. And they try to pretty up, put a pretty little bow on it. It's nothing you ever want, but hey, if you do, call us. Down in Oklahoma, there's yard signs for divorce lawyers. They're along the roadsides. It was insane how many I saw down there. Divorce is big business now, and it seems separation is very profitable today. Now, things that magnify loneliness, video games, phones, social media. Social media is just the constant seeking of acceptance. That's all it is. It's likes and emojis and good comments, wanting to be accepted. If you see somebody who is on there constantly, I, I see it all the time. People wanting the likes, wanting the hearts, wanting the positive com comments, usually because they're not either getting it at home, have never got it, they're just seeking something outside the norm, and that norm is usually some type of rejection, abandonment, or abuse. It's always going to be one of them top three things. Now, can people just be prideful and lustful and want what they want? Can a, can a family try to rear up a child in the way they should go? Absolutely can. That is a small fraction of the of broken families. Small fraction. It's usually those who fall to that in this plan of separation, divide, and conquer. People are addicted to it. And little do they know that it actually causes division. It does. You got people in friend groups, you got people being unfriended, you got people who don't talk to this one, this one's blocked, that one's deleted, these ones are fighting constantly. So instead of this great, wonderful thing that was supposed to be my acceptance group, it actually divided everybody and put them into sex. That's S-E-C-T-S, guys. But anyway, getting back to that. Um, and the problem is, is we get back to with addicts. It's that dopamine rush. They get a rush out of it. They get a rush out of the, out of the next comment. They get a, a rush out of uh, the next heart and the next emoji. They get a rush out of being right or telling someone they're wrong. We all do it. Now today, one of the top indicators of depression is the amount of screen time someone has daily. People will think, well, just browsing the internet 10 hours a day, we're just looking, we're bored, right? Ten, and I'm telling you, there's some out there, especially these kids, that are 8 to 10 hours a day on these things, day after day after day. 
they're depressed and they don't even know because they don't even know what depression is. Something to ask yourself if that's you. What are you watching? Why are you watching it? Is it affecting your life? I bet you some of you younger kids, your parents can answer all of them things for you. Maybe not what you're watching. But if they know what you're watching, they know why you're watching it, and they know if it's affected your life. And the same goes for the parents. A lot of it is insecurity. The Internet is a very inviting place to all kinds of people, especially social groups. You can't find the acceptance at home. You can't find it in your schools. You can't find it with your friends. You'll eventually find it on the Internet. And it may not be in a good in a good place at all. Probably there's a 75 to 80% chance you're going to find it in a not so good place. And that's what I'm talking about, especially with those who are abused and feel rejected. They'll change anything to fit in somewhere. They'll change anything to fit in somewhere. And you might not even think your kids being, that, they're, that they feel abandoned or they feel rejected or they feel less than. Sometimes it can be overparenting too. You think you taught your kid well? You think you've given them what God wants you to give them? And then you don't give them a little, little bit of free reign? Overparenting can do the same thing as not, as not caring at all. But sometimes you don't even realize you, that your kids might feel that way. Sometimes you don't know what they're doing when you don't know they're doing it. Usually you find out when it's a little too late then it becomes a shock to you. Anxiety, proof that there's a battle raging in the mind. Are they anxious about things? Could there be any previous things that, that we've spoken out that could be the number one reason? Number one reason, and the thing we're going to talk about today is fear. The thing that they're putting in everybody is fear. The fear of being alone, the fear of Rejection, abandonment, whether we've done something wrong or no fault of our own. It's the number one reason for separation today is fear. Loneliness, depression. The more materialistic the world becomes, the more we feel we need. We've got to have it. And when we can't provide it, inadequately sets in. Parents fight over money. They try to fill voids and other things, other people, other substances. Usually the kids feel abandoned and rejected, or they feel like it's their fault. Then they go on trying to fill the voids, never satisfies, and it keeps repeating itself. In Genesis 2.18, God said, he's going to make a help me. And help me. Why would he make a help me? For the sole purpose of having a family. It's about having a family. Now, we know that our spiritual family is a model for the physical family. That's the way God put it. Christ at the head, the church, the bride. Together, we're the family. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 2. How many here are closer with their church family than their home family? By far, right? I am. I know that. So, our family's born. Are you born into a 
group of people and you're automatically a family? Is that how it works? I'm asking because I don't know. No one wants to tell me. Yeah? Okay. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of God, the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and all whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Physical family you're born into. All through the Old Testament, families used, I forget, I looked it up the other day, I looked it up. 17, 18 times. It's used one time in the New Testament. One time. And you just read it. And what did he say? He said the family's built. The family's built. Now we're born again into the family that God built. That's how it works. Now, if you look at uh, verse 17 of that chapter. Actually, no. Let's go to... Do I want to do it this way? I do. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to do this a little backwards. Verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's where we read the family. This is the one and only place where family is mentioned in the New Testament. And it's the spiritual family. In verse 17, he says, That Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. He builds the family to be rooted and grounded in love. And how does he do that? Verse 19. And to know that the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So he gives you this knowledge of Christ, okay? To be rooted and grounded in love. So now he gives you the knowledge of God. That passes all understanding. Well, hello. How are we supposed to act like God, have the mind of Christ, when it passes our understanding? What he tells us to do. You constantly seek it. Therefore, gaining more, gaining more, and all the while staying full. That's how you stay full of the Spirit. Staying full, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to exceedingly and abundantly, able to do exceedingly above, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So he's able to do all things exceedingly and abundantly that we could ever ask or think. And how often do we ever ask or think about it because we don't think he's going to do it? And we heard this before and before and before. But why do you think the main reason is we don't ever believe that he will? I know people look at me, and they, my family looks at me as a Christian, and they say, well, he hasn't done this for you, he hasn't done that for you. They don't see the things he does for me. They just think I need those other things. 
So now we look around at each other and say, well, God hasn't done this and God hasn't done that. And then we'll look at one another and go, well, they're still the same way. He's really been in the ministry for 30 years and that's that way sometimes. I know when I was younger in the faith, I used to, what's the sense? I'm still, I'm still going to be like that? That ain't the mindset to have. You already defeated yourself. You already took God and threw him in the, in the rubbish pile. What's he saying? It's path that's understanding. But what's he say for those who diligently seek him? He's a rewarder, right? So who's closer, a friend or a family? Friends or family? Matthew 12, you ain't got to turn there. Matthew 12, 48 through 50, but he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards the disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever will do the will of my Father which is in heaven, same as my brother and my sister and my mother. So who's closer, friends or family? You can't have one without the other. Your family will be your closest friends. That's the way it's going to be. What, what's a friend? A friend is someone who sticks by you unconditionally. They'll see the worst of you, they'll see the best of you, and they'll love you unconditionally anyway. That's what he tells us. Again, people born in relations, people who are born into relation, by no means have to have a relationship with them, nor you with them. They don't have to. But God always does. Now, one of the best acts of love and one of the best attributes of the family is forgiveness. It's like top two right there. You can't take that away. If you love someone, true repentance, you'll forgive them. If you don't, you'll harbor all that hatred, that bitterness, that envy, that pride. That's not a friend. That's not love. That's not a family. It's not grounded and rooted in love can't put a condition on love because it's not love. That's the way it works. Ultimately, again, how does the enemy isolate people? Genesis 3.10 They once walked with God but now they hid themselves because they were afraid. They had an intimate relationship with him. They were a family. They messed up. Now all of a sudden they were separated out of fear. They are now afraid of God. Instead of walking side by side. They were now afraid. Today, some might say, well, pride's the number one, our number one problem. And it is. No doubt. But the number one tactic of the enemy today is fear. Now let's talk about fear a little bit. We'll talk about the six stages of fear. To understand the topic of fear, you have to break down to its progressions in each of their definitions. Now today, worry. Worry is rampant. Everybody's worrying. What's going on? What's going to happen? 
Worry means to tease, to trouble, to harass with impaternity or with care and anxiety. In the Bible, it's called careful, being careful. And he tells us what not to be careful for, right? That just means there's no content. You're not content, contented with the things that God has given you or the things that God wants for you. How many people here have been saved more than a year? Is anyone still questioning what they think God wants for them? I've been saved for a year and I still don't know what God wants for me. I've been saved for two years, three years, four years, five years, and I still don't know my purpose in life. I don't know what God wants me to do. You might want to work on that if you're still questioning it. But it's that work. People worry today. Finances. Again with the social status. Where's the rent going to come from? Where's the food going to come from? Where's the internet and phone bill going to come from? That's probably top of the list. Let's reverse it. Anxiety. Concern or solitude respecting some event, future, or uncertain or uncertainty which disturbs the mind and keeps it in a state of painful uneasiness. I see anxiety all the time. I see it constantly. I see a lot of it on the roads. There's a lot of anxious people on the roadway, no doubt. And they make me anxious sometimes. But that's the way it is in my business. But I also see it on the streets. I see it in the grocery stores. I see it in the bank. I see it everywhere. Anxious. People are just so anxious. And they don't know why. All they know is whatever the circumstances at that moment, it better go their way. It better go my way. Trust me, I know. I have moments of it myself. This day better go my way. Like heart and whatever emoji you want to throw in there. You can tell me how great that statement was afterwards. Pump me up a little bit. Now fear itself. Who said that term, uh, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself? Was that Churchill? One of those guys. Anywho. Fear is a painful emotion or passion excited by an expectation of evil or the apprehension of impending danger. Expectation of evil. How many of you in here can raise your hand and say you expected something bad to happen or you expect something bad to happen today, some type of evil, no matter how small or no matter how great? This day is not going to go perfectly. It's not going to happen. And then the Eeyores are going, it's going to happen if I have to make it happen. Something bad's going to happen. That's just the way it is. People are afraid today of what's going to happen. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to my home? What's going to happen to my retirement? What's going to happen? 
How many of us in here knows what ultimately happens? We do. Now, is there a fear for us? Yes, there is a friendly fear. I think it's a, a godly fear. Proverbs uh, 14. I'll turn there. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. So there is a friendly fear. But we always say that's, that's a reverential fear, right? Let me tell you right now, I have reverence for a Sherman tank if it parks on my front lawn and points it right at my front door. I have reverential fear for that tank. I just do. That's what he's talking about. It's not just a reverence. It's a fear. But it's that fear that says, hey, your toes are dangling over a 10,000-foot cliff back up, dummy. It's that type of fear. Not the fear that the enemy has. The, f- the fear of uncertainty. We're, we're not to live that way. The fear of dread. It's just great fear or apprehension of evil or danger. So now you guys see how these things are progressing? The world's going to get that way too. Now you're suffering because of the fear. That's, that's literally going to lead to depression. You're now dreading those things that was just a worry once. Just a little gnawing at the brain and you let it fester and you let more of it in and you let more of it in. Now it's become a dread. It's become a great fear. People are getting that way. A lot of people are getting fearful of us from what they're hearing. Which means all the more reason to be salt and light. Because this fear, if we let it in, is going to make us carnal just like them and fight back the same way. That's what the enemy is looking for us to do. That's exactly what they want us to do. Take up arms instead of the sword. That's exactly what they want us to do. That dread then turns to terror, extreme fear. Violent dread, fright, fear that agitates the body and mind. Now it's affecting your mind and your body. I see people that are afraid to go outside of their homes. They have, they have terms for all types of these things. Fears of cars. Fears of everything. Fear of grass. I've seen it. They're afraid of grass. They cannot walk. That mind was affected somewhere down the road. They weren't always like that. The spirit of fear got in there and changed them. Which then ultimately leads to fright. It's a sudden, violent fear. Terror, a passion excited by the sudden appearance of danger. That makes me think of what? Great tribulation, right? It's what it's all leading to except the tribulation and the great tribulation, the people, unbeknownst to them, they're going to lead themselves into it. They're literally going to lead themselves into it. And they have no idea that they are. The difference is, is we do. We know the difference. The objects of fear, 
fear of impending conflict. What are we hearing today? Wars and rumors of wars, right? For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. Psalm 31, 13. How many are afraid of what they're going to do to us here in the future? They'll lock us up, shut us down, maybe even take our lives. There's a lot of people out there afraid of it. And they will fall away. They will fall away. They're not grounded. They're not rooted. Not part of the family. Fear of judgment. I call that the don't judge me. That's the generation we have today. You can't judge me. There's only one that judges me. They don't get the difference. And he said, I heard a voice, thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Going back to Genesis 3.10. I was afraid of you. Why? Because you're going to see that I was naked and you're going to make judgment. That was the first time that judgment came. Because he was afraid. Because of sin. Fear of the enemy. Sorrows of death can pass me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Psalm 18. 4. The sorrows of death can pass me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. That's being afraid of ungodly men. Who are the most ungodly men today? Those in power. We're going right back up to the top. The people in power that are putting the stuff out on the air that are turning the narrative, that are installing the fear of you and me and everything we stand. And that fear of God that don't judge me. I thought it was amazing. It amazed me that in the great tribulation people shaking the face of God's face. I couldn't believe it. Except if he didn't say it himself. That's insane to me. But it's true. So don't be, don't be cast down if it happens to you. Because it's going to happen to you. It's happened to me. Don't let your apathy outweigh your empathy. All right? You're going to feel for them. But you can't force them to change. And a lot of it will be from fear. Because they're going to think we're the enemy. Fear of death pretty much speaks for itself. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Those in fear of death are in bondage. We know that. The lost is in bondage to sin, right? They're in bondage to death because they're dead already. They just don't know it. Then they're going to be eternally dead, separated. We keep getting back to that separation. Isolation. What's it say about hell? Outer darkness? They're going to be alone, people. They're going to be the most alone anyone's ever been. It's going to be forever. Fear. Fear of the unknown. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. They're afraid of Jesus Christ, the man who they've been with the whole time. 
how, how, much, how many of us in here separate ourselves from God because we're afraid of what he's going to do because of the sin in our life? Number one reason we separate ourselves from God because we know what we're doing. And we know that he knows. And we're afraid what's coming. What did we do? We just sold fig leaves to Heather together and went and hid. Thinking he's not going to find us. Why? Don't judge me. Fear of loss. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come unto me. That's Job. You guys should remember that. Fear of loss. They're afraid of losing stuff. Everyone's afraid of losing things today. People, people make less. Well, they think they, they make more. But with inflation and everything, and the cost of everything, they actually make less, but yet they have more. Because everyone's indebted. They're indebted, indebted out their ears. And what are they afraid of? They're afraid of losing. But they don't know that the greatest loss is their soul. They don't even think about it. Their fear of losing everything else. Whoa. Okay. Fear of immediate circumstances. That's the things that are going on at the time. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. How many of us get on, get on uh, the first thing we do is we get on some news app or read the newspaper because we got to know what's going on today or we got to know what happened yesterday. We got to know what might happen tomorrow because we're anxious and we're worried and we want to know. We got to know because we're fearful of what might happen. We're fearful of what's going on. fear that further separates us from God. It's that separation, that isolation. Fear of pain. Nobody wants pain. Everyone's afraid of it. We're yet Christ suffering. And I believe his word says we're supposed to share in his suffering. As he did for us. Fear of hurting others' feelings. Go along to get along. Don't tell them the truth because they might get their feelings hurt. That is definitely the generation of today. I get it all the time. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Or you can't say that. That's not nice to say. Your kid has no hands because he keeps touching the hot stove and he's literally burnt them off. So he Given the proverbial time out for doing it the twelfth time, that's me. Well, why? Because you love them. You didn't want to hurt their feelings. Sometimes that that needs that needs to be what happens. And then the fear through loss of abilities. That's your self confidence. I can't do this anymore because they took this away, or I can't do that. Or I'm not in this position anymore. Then we put the emphasis on ourselves and not on what God's done. The fear of others being blessed. Envy. That goes on a lot. It 
goes on a lot in my family. I hear it a lot, trust me. The fear of being blessed. The fear of unbelief. The fear of guilt. We're going back to that guilt. Going back to that. Uh, we separate ourselves from God because we know we've done wrong. There's no forgiveness. I know people who aren't in this church anymore. A lot of stinking pride just because they can't come back, talk to one another face to face, admit their wrongs, and forgive one another. So they'd rather stay away from outside the family. What is it? It's fear. Fear. Spirit of fear. This is speaking, this is speaking either someone who has generally fearfully spirit naturally or who has Develop the severe lack of assurance of God's presence in themselves. That's after the separation comes. After the separation comes and you've pushed God aside. And he's no longer talking to you and you're no longer talking to him. In comes that spirit and those other spirits and all these other spirits. You can't even, let's not even talk about the spirits that these kids are getting off the internet and allowing them to come in. Okay. This is the spirit of fear that the enemy is going to use, especially as we go on towards the end of the days, to keep us separated from him. He doesn't want you going back. He doesn't want repentance. He doesn't want reconciliation. The very thing God was trying to do from the beginning, restore, 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 to build that family. The very thing. And that's the very thing he doesn't want. Push him in. Kick him out. Let me in. That's what the enemy's saying. And then fear because of idolatry. That's neglecting God. Replacing him with a cheap substitute. I just said it. What's Satan trying to do? He's trying to emulate Jesus Christ, right? He's going to do it right up to the very end. So why do we let him do it now? Why do we let him do it now? We do. We replace him with a cheap substitute that always leads to inordinate desire or something that can never fulfill. An inordinate fear of losing something, people who love money, fearing their wealth, those who love to be in control, being in control, especially of the circumstances. Everybody wants to be in control today. And they're miserable if they're not. So in conclusion, with three minutes left, God's intention was us for us was never to be alone. He wanted us to be with him, also wanted us together. We will go back to that. Why wasn't it just good enough for him and Adam to be together? Wanted that family. He wanted that family. Solution for loneliness. I'll turn there. Verse 23, 26. I got the right one. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Let them have your heart. Just let him have it. Let him have it. 
Remember, love God with your mind, your heart, your soul, and your strength, and love others as yourself. First John, uh, what's it, First John? I think I got it right here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love, we love him because he first loved us. There's that grounded and rooted in love. There's no fear there. There should be no fear in this family of one another. And we all should be on the same page when it comes to God. Okay? That's what that verse is saying. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We've heard it a billion times. But what's he saying? That light separates the darkness. We find those in the light when we're in the light. That's how it works. We all stay as a family in the light. It's all about He's all about And the enemy is all about destroying and That is the solution for fear, separation, and loneliness. So if we remember that God always intended have a family grounded, rooted in love, with Christ at the head, us as the church, all together a family. And we're supposed to be in this fight together. Earth is not a place to set up your home. It's a battlefield. People don't build houses on battlefields. That's another thing we have to remember. But stay as a family. He wants us to be with him at the head. Okay. I do thank you, Lord, for this opportunity tomorrow or today to preach your word, Father. And maybe tomorrow too. Who knows? And I just love you, Father. I thank you for your word, for the truth of it, Father. For you have the answer to everything. And I just pray, Father, you help us to be able to stay rooted, stay grounded in your love, Father, with you at the head. Lord, and help us. Just love one another the way that we should, Father, the way that you want us to. And that's what that same love for you that you give to us. We praise you, Father. Please keep Pastor Kenny, uh, Pastor Kenny safe as he preaches up there, Lord. And uh, be with James, who's sick, Father, and every, all, everyone dealing with sickness, Lord. And bless the services today, Father. And we pray for your soon return. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.